Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Love Letters and Mixtapes. Well, I was looking forward to recording this podcast episode all week, and I am excited to introduce this community to one of my favorite people. And if someone asked me to introduce her, I would probably lean into the most Casey answer there ever was. And I would say she is a sister and a friend and an artist and creator and an excellent listener and a cousin and dispenser of joy and powerful non-judger and gentle holder of wisdom, maintainer of connection, and reminder of the stardust in my bones, and the list goes on. And she has also let me live in her house many, many times in the past. So that is how I would describe her. But I would like to introduce you to Lauren. So Lauren, welcome to the Love Letters and Mixtapes podcast. Thank you for such a generous introduction. (laughs) I am so glad to be here. And it's important that I also say thank you for the comfort of your show. It's one of the most comfortable <laughs> podcasts in my stratosphere. And I really appreciate getting to spend time with you in this way as your first guest. It's a treat. Thank you so much. Well, you heard my little intro, but I always think it's very interesting when we allow someone to introduce themselves in the way that they know themselves, the way that they show up in the world. So Lauren, I would love if you could describe or introduce yourself to this community. Who are you? What are your core values? Why are you here? Let's start with a very (laughs) gentle question. Lauren, why are you here? Yeah, my name is Lauren Devine. And yes, I suppose most of the time I'm an artist. I mostly am a botanical illustrator and a storyteller but we are all storytellers. And so I will say that my version of storytelling is one of grounding and maybe expressing the rhythm between ourselves and our wilds. I also work with flavors and native species. I'm the bar consultant now for 1% for the planet, which is a treat. The greater answer to your question is that I'm here to ground. And so hopefully (laughs) some of my work brings that to people who are interested and it ends up in the right place that people can borrow from that. That's the hope. And I think that's why I'm here. I love that phrase you used, our wild. And I wanted to just check in with that for a second because that's pretty familiar language for you and me. And I wonder if I was out there listening and I heard someone say this for the first time and maybe I'm not connected with that. Can you describe that feeling for people who are listening? My first thought goes to this idea of nature as separate from ourselves. Even the word, the purpose of language is to render something perceptible, but that also makes it separate from us in certain ways. And I think that we hear the phrasing often that one should get out in nature, (laughs) that it's something that we need to walk into we need to journey toward or come back from i actually don't believe that to be true it's something that's always possible when it comes to being alive in a time that's very ungrounded 
and, you know, our pace and our species is shifting at such a rapid fire pace and momentum that remembering that even the materials of your home, many materials in our conversation are all a part of our natural relationship. And hopefully when I'm in an act of devotion, illustrating something small, theoretically, like a small fern or something like that. It, it's really a message of pause and it's about agency and this idea that wild isn't something feral necessarily. It's a grounding thing. We are of the earth and it has to do with connectivity. And further, I think creaturehood is a really important concept and I'm sure it'll enter our conversation today as well. What a beautiful answer. It made me think about the last two years of my life when I was thrown into a completely different relationship with my body and my health. And that concept of our wild and me being a part of nature and not separate from it was actually very grounding and helpful for me because I was reminded that our wilds can be unpredictable and it's happening right on time. And there are seasons and the landscape changes and there are depths and foundations that I can't see sometimes. And it was really, really helpful. So I am so glad we opened this episode with that discussion. And I would love to pivot a little because whenever I think of you, I think about the very first time we met. And I think <laughs> it is so telling. It's such a humble little story, but it is so telling of both of our personalities. And every time we speak to each other, that image comes to mind. So my description of that was I was told that this wonderful person was staying in my home for the weekend through another person. They were in town and we had room and she's arriving at this time. And can you let her in? Me being me, I bounded downstairs, saw you in the parking lot, grabbed your luggage and decided to lug it up a bunch of stairs, just chatting the whole time and feeling like I just met a new best friend. And we met through such a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. beautiful. Very, that person's very much a river in my life. Me too. Yeah, lucky us. Um, <laughs> but similarly, your story's not far from mine in memory, but mine's a really visual, really spatial memory of the actual act of you grabbing my suitcase when I didn't quite have the capacity. I was in a phase in my life that I'm sure we'll expand on that was a very heavy traveling phase. To put it simply, we met in an act of giving. You were such a welcoming force. So when you're in a lone wolf phase in life, for someone to actually come up and grab your baggage, I can't think of a better start. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
This morning, I sent you an image through Instagram, and it was an image from an artist I really enjoy named Morley. And in the picture, he wrote, I can't wait to meet all the anything that could happen. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were about that, those words, or seeing that come through this morning. It was a twofold receipt of imagery, and I really appreciated the opportunity to kind of gain a felt sense of what it was pointing towards for me. And the truth of it was that it was pointing me towards the nature of the open heart, that really being excited for what's ahead is only true in this moment. And the way to access that is open heartedness. Um, It requires a presence. It definitely requires a presence. And that was really reinforcing and lovely this morning with coffee and a frosted, a permafrosted terrain (laughs) in Sonoma County. It was beautiful. Yeah, it came up very simply. It started to grow and be complex. And then uh, it's something really simple. When I first read it this morning, I had this wave of fear, which is really natural. It's the first thing that comes over. And I know people tend to run from those things and say, you need to evolve past it. But I like to be really honest about my first waves that come up. And I had this wave of fear about what could happen. And then instantly I had this exhale and sigh about, oh, the amazing anything, and I can't wait to meet it. And what it made me think of was this quote by Krishnamurti, and he said, this is my secret. I don't mind what happens. And that has been something that I have been allowing to integrate into this cycle of the last two years, which has been a little challenging. And so it's almost a mantra or meditation that I can check in with in those moments when I have that wave of fear or embracing. And that's my natural instinct because what could happen, it must be terrible. And so I'm trying to invite myself into that space where I don't mind what happens. And you are the first person I thought of when I saw that this morning, not just because I knew we were going to talk, but because I thought it might resonate. So I'm so glad that you received it that way. So the truth of that, there's, there's a first truth and then where I landed and I expressed where I landed. But uh, the first truth, you're aware, us being close friends, that I'm in the middle of a big move that I'm mostly being fairly private about. And as I have steadied myself for something that's been a real challenge to defensive sides that are present in this phase of my life, the visual I have often with the compulsions of the mind to want to ruminate and jump on thought trains and this sort of a thing. The first train pulling up to my station right now, the first drama that wants me there that's valid, the first story of myself that wanted me to meet that quote that you shared had to do with this ongoing drama of a major change. And the first thought happened, I took a breath and right behind it was only open heart. So thank you for what you shared. I feel that dearly. (laughs) And thank you for Krishnamurti. Thank you so much, because he's (laughs) been hanging around and he's been helping for a very long time. I really wanted to expand on something we've both touched on in this exchange, and that is the integration of selves. And the reason I want to talk about that is because very often, whether I was in a role as a psychotherapist or facilitating a group or leading a yoga class or anything like that, there is this response and reactivity when you speak to the truth of your human experience. 
It's very expected. It never takes me by surprise. I'm always like, oh, this is showing up right on time when you humbly sit in the moment and you say, this is the first thought that comes up for me. And I believe that we are often encouraged to part from that and get away from it as fast as possible and never mention that it was a part of ourselves. And I want to sit with that for a moment and talk about this integration of the many different parts of ourselves, how they serve us, how they show up, what they sound like, what they feel like. And I want to know about your experience with that. First reaction that I have immediately upon hearing your description of that authentic expression in professional setting, personal setting, is that in my experience of the last couple of years, what I've been framing as the second rebirth <laughs> of my life. I have only identified with and held space for being okay with making people kind of uncomfortable as a byproduct of speaking that truth in that moment. It's something that's newer for me to hold interpersonal space and be with and be okay with whatever someone's reaction is to my way of reacting to the pace of life, to the suffering and the rejoicing in life and the discomfort of growth. And that's an integration story, but I, I finally have arrived the last couple of years and realizing that I make some people uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a good mark for me. And I'll say that I try when in conversation, either professional or personal, or in our case, not to show up with too much of a frame between myself and the person that I'll be connecting with. So if I have a really wonderful opportunity in the meeting, I'm not Googling people until after a conversation kind of a thing. And so last night with my phone still off from a beautiful Dharma talk, I did make a couple of notes <laughs> about that literal prompt that you opened the show with 30 years ago, three years ago and today. And I wonder for this moment if I can just quick read those notes as we walk forward. Absolutely. Let's see who I was last night. 30-year-old <laughs> self, you will unbind from these conditions. Three-year-old self, there is a storm coming and it will clean you and you can drink from it. Yesterday, go to Sangha, the theme of which will be anatta, not self. Self being found rather than deconstructed is this concept of not self. Not self is rather an unbinding of shame. End of note. I'm so grateful that you shared those with us. No, I really am. What really rises to the surface for me, especially with this podcast, is talking to the version of ourselves that we were yesterday and how powerful that is. And it almost seems like, oh, no, that's not a big deal. And it's like, no, actually, the version of ourselves yesterday needs just as much space, grace, attention, freedom, all the things that the one from 30 years ago does. And I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And I want to take a step back to some of the things you mentioned earlier, which were when the lone wolf self shows up, when the warrior self shows up, when all the different versions show up and there might be this natural aversion or an encouraged aversion, how do we sit with those parts of ourselves? How do we integrate them, push away from them? You know, what is your experience with those different versions of yourself? 
when I feel into relationship with a me from three decades ago, that me definitely found the most love for herself in places with the most space, in solitude, in natural relationship. That version of myself unfolding very much was still close with narratives of the conditions of unlovability. I think that something I've come into relationship with more recently or even this past year is that at that time in the world, I can feel into a younger Lauren looking forward to her life and who she may want to be. And that vision looks like a being who's of service, a being with great compassion, a being who is so easygoing that people aren't kept on edge by my emotional you know, spikes, potentially. And I always saw love. I bring that up because if I looked the past three years, a big change has happened for me. So now here comes the lone wolf. Yeah. <laughs> my particular story, which chances are listeners of this episode will know, is that prior to the pandemic for a rough six years, I was living on the road full time, old car, backcountry, seemingly unafraid at Sturgis and Mardi Gras and the Sawtooth Mountains. And it was a beautiful experience to kind of leap like that, the opportunity of which was learning my solitude better than a lot of people at my particular phase in life. And yet something that came along with that was trade. My experience was that it made me feel very safe. My idea of safety became bound up in my quote, bravery. You know, I was often called brave. That word is such an othering word. So I felt very validated, very loved. And on the one hand, had the most gorgeous stories unfold for me and synchronicity and natural relationship. And on the other, there was no proximate community. And stories from younger selves, including my biggest version of closeness to death, were going untended in certain ways because there weren't, wasn't fully the light of another to shine and release and unbind some of it. It's interesting. The wolf is a model, a symbol, a storyteller symbol is so incredible. On the one hand, representative of wild and yet often an extreme wild, a wild that may hurt you, a wild of fairy tale, a wild of, in many conversations, the untamable and scary in nature. On the other, my friend of all friends, one that very much is applauded <laughs> as a side of ourselves. It feels like along with those other things, the lone wolf is something that people have convinced themselves that they don't have access to, or capitalism does, or certain stories of extremes being the only worthwhile adventures are a product of a fast-paced culture. So my story really is that the pandemic stopped me, and you're aware of this. That momentum, that circular energy that I had for so many years producing 
the most incredible stories with unbelievable characters and you know press and validation and all my experience having the world slow in some ways to a pace a mental pace that I was an inhabitant of already and in some ways there was so much transition but what I found was that underneath all that momentum there was tending that needed to take place and for me I've come to realize that my idea of safety was bound up in my radical nature kind of my role like that was what I was bringing to my community it was what I was hearing it's what the feedback loop was as well you know and when that stopped my body experienced anxiousness in my case as you know for the first time in 12 years and it has the feeling tone of self-sabotage you know oh is my brain not functioning am I safe and it took and has taken a number of years for my nervous system to come into a real integrated back to your integration and lone wolf they they're the ones that need each other <laughs> um, it's taken quite a while for me to hold space for the things that need tending to be with my responses to the human experience in the way that you pointed toward earlier and to thank the sides of me that created such a vibrant existence for so long while taking up space in an entirely different way because a part of the truth of lone wolf for me was about learning to take up space. I didn't stop long enough to do it, you know, and often I would get imagery from friends of me as their wild horse friend running and running. I stopped needing that fire. There was water in front of me. And my truth is I believe it made a lot of people uncomfortable because to be fair, I had defined my safety in one way, you know, and so I hold a lot of space for that. But ultimately, it's my own story. Ultimately, you know, when I'm coming from a place of love and to me, integration feels like a I think it's important maybe to expand on what that means. It's not an ascension goal. You know, we hear this word integration in the wellness space that so much of my community is a part of. And, you know, it may be my own trip to decide how I think I hear other people using that word. I, I have heard it in ways attached to commerce that for me feel a little off center, like it's something to be attained, like it's a goal, it's a direction. But for me, what integration looks like today is the ability to respond and to have my heart be completely open. And it, you know, it'll also bring up that as we got closer to our conversation today and my gratitude for being your first guest on the podcast, I checked in with how it felt if I was excited or something. And, and my truth is that it was a an old story, an old habit, my mind was trying to access a performative energy. As you know, in my career, I've stepped up in front of many people and in bands in front of thousands of people, but spoken in front of hundreds and, and sometimes even thousands of people in education for wild and flavors or some storytelling and that used to hold the story of it being performative energy. And when I tuned in, I didn't need to access any of that to sit here today. I was obviously resonating with everything you shared and the idea of that experience of 
either the lone wolf or whatever language someone has for their experience. And when that shifts, when we shift a little bit, and I do believe that our experience in 2020 forced everyone to, and now we are in this coming to phase, which is much slower, and it's going at a glacial pace, and there's this impulse to get back to what we were. I think that that is really just a very common experience. But what happens when there's no linear pathway back and the path is forward as it always is, and sometimes it's circuitous, and what is it like when these parts of ourselves show up in different ways? And in reality, even if we're feeling the lone wolf energy, we, we are existing in community in some way. And community can be amazing and it can be painful and it can be challenging and it can be welcoming. And we grow, we learn, we resist. We do all of those things in community. And I was thinking about how you shared about that first moment of the performative self coming in. I think that's something that so many of us can resonate with. And that's why I wanted to sit with that for a moment. The way we know the world is experienced with perceiving us, the roles that we have, whether they are in our family dynamics, our intimate partnerships, at work, how even strangers are used to perceiving us, all of those things. And what happens when we shift and this other part of ourselves comes up? What does that feel like inside? How does that show up in the outer world? All of those questions come up for us. And I don't know that we all have words for it. Sometimes we just feel uncomfortable and we don't know why. Why do we feel uncomfortable in community? Why are we uncomfortable in our relationship or at work? Or why does the family dynamic never feel good? Why do I feel like I'm letting them down? I'm no longer the person I was, but I want the connection. I want to ask you specifically about that and your experience with that of these shifts, whether they are gentle or forced or the strange coming to where it feels completely welcome and you're like, I am ready for this. I'm ready for this transition. How do you meet those changes in yourself, those transitions? What usually comes up for you and what's coming up for you now? So I think that's my real focus in the moment, those transitions and how we meet them. Something that's really come up for me lately to speak to this point that may resonate with your community here and your audience about the roles we play. Part of what that looks like for me is that I used to spend more time first in how my energy would be perceived in a conceptual dynamic than in my intuition, my peace, my gut, my open heart. And for me, which again, I would never decide for anyone, much energy was being wasted. Much energy I could be putting towards purpose or reverence or compassion or kindness was up in what we call the mind, thinking through how I'm supposed to show up for something and whether I'm meeting or feeling that before that's even happened. So that does come up for me as, a, as one response to that question is if I just let that go and, and meet it with the trust or even the suspended belief that I am able to respond from each present moment, then I'm going to be okay. And I'm not starting from a place where I'm already fatigued by typecasting myself, ultimately. No one can see, but I've been nodding furiously for the last 30 minutes. And <laughs> Lauren can see it. And that's what really matters to me. But I am resonating deeply with everything you're sharing. 
we don't always have access to these vulnerable conversations. Sometimes we're in spaces in our lives where we don't have them. And that's why I'm so appreciative that you're here today and we're sharing it with everyone because I know that there have been many times in my life when I needed to hear a voice talk about that. And it didn't give me permission, but it helped with my freedom from worrying about the self-perception or typecasting myself, which you said, and I love that phrase, and I am taking notes about that as we speak. Part of the reason I'm so giggly right now is because I had a very powerful experience this week. I feel that my life in the current stage is very compartmentalized. There is no negativity or positivity with that. It just is. And I approach it from a position of neutrality at the moment. It's just the way it is. But I was in a meeting the other day and someone asked me a question about something creative and how the idea was generated. And I said, I don't want to get weird and make people uncomfortable. And they moved into the camera and said, get weird. I want you to get weird. And I closed my eyes and I embraced this conversation and I shared what it was like to walk on the riverbed at sunset. And all the rocks around me are whitewashed and it felt like I was on the surface of the moon and there was this soft pink glow around me and two coyote ran past me and then they zigzagged past me again and again and again. And it was just so powerful and I began talking about how coyote shows up in my life time and time again and I listen and I pay attention and I just went real deep and real weird very quickly. And it was a reminder about that other part of myself that I very often don't share. And I self-edit, as we all do. I'm not special in that situation, but how good it felt to just sit with it and let someone else in for a few minutes while I talked about what generated this idea. And it didn't have to be, but it was really well-received and it felt beautiful and special and rare in my current life. And I'm just so glad that we're talking about this. Me too. And I, I'll add that tools like your podcast, like Love Letters and Mixtapes, have been really beneficial in the healing that it took without really a playbook to remove myself from this idea of the role self again. That if I just was in the present moment and speaking from what that felt like, that I'd be ultimately less lovable, right? It's like a contract in, in my subconscious and old friendships that I'm showing up to a dynamic and it, it creates the very conditions that I want to heal, really, <laughs> in whatever that dynamic might be. So as I kind of began to integrate for me a very fragile part of myself, it was a very important leap of faith to not care what anybody thought first. And if that was the way it had to look and not caring means not to be concerned with. And there's a degree of trust in the other in that that I don't know is as present when I show up deciding who you've decided I'm going to be like, how much energy are we carrying when we do that? You know, um, and what could we use that energy for if I just show up? and feel into what's present there, I really doubt anything's going to truly, truly hurt me in certain ways. I had a pivotal experience this year that unlocked a lot of healing for me that I will try to share succinctly, centered around the idea of forgiveness. 
I think that we all have some idea of what the notion of forgiveness means. Sometimes that looks like someone wronged me. Sometimes that looks like circumstance. But I'll tell this story because in this version of forgiveness, as we move towards forgiving some of the bigger things, traumatic, familial, and so my experience of considering forgiveness, aiming at these larger things, we show up to forgiveness often like my mom or this, you know, act. In this meditation, we first can ask for forgiveness for ourselves. Then we take a step further into something smaller that hurt us. And maybe I'm getting those two mixed up. And then we can start to kind of scratch the surface of these bigger things with care and a lot of information and skillfulness, hopefully. And maybe I'm just going to start <laughs> my actual point here. But in a meditation, a mindfulness meditation as a portion of forgiveness, I was to contemplate the spaces where I should be the one asking. And in my idea of myself, this idea that has no uncomfortability between myself and whomever and considers where I sit in the lexicon of your stratosphere I can't even know before I even show up to a dinner or whatever that looks like, it required a lot of pause for me to first access. Where do I need to ask for forgiveness? Because my version of growing into being the most lovable adult I could be was absolutely counter to the idea that I would have some trail of lacking thoughtfulness in, in my path. And after a few minutes or so, I finally started to feel into that radical life and the lone wolf itself. And I started to see faces of people who couldn't come with me all the way in some of my adventures, people who tried to love me when I wasn't defining what those terms were, and maybe colleagues that didn't understand the things that I was doing to even be safe, financial risk, creative opportunity, et cetera. And in that moment, this door opens to the idea that in this way, in this lone wolf, it's quite possible that I've left a lot of people behind that I have let a lot of people stay in a place where they couldn't reach me with their love. And I think that that's been a real jumping off point for me and a healing place for me to realize that I am not special. Um, Vinny Ferraro, a teacher that I work with in a few courses, refers to it as his terminal uniqueness. <laughs> and I find that incredible. And I think it sits in the same side of things as performative energy and the idea of what role we play in our community and how much energy we give it. It made me human, this idea of asking for forgiveness. And so I hold that word with very high reverence today. <laughs> I'm so glad you shared that. I love that the two voices I rely on so often as I'm exploring these topics are Vinnie Ferraro and Frank Ostazeski. So, you know, Vinnie and Frank are my spiritual heartbeat. And who knew that those were going to be the names that would keep that open door in my life? And I love that. And I'm grateful we have that in common. I really loved and appreciated what you shared. And it has come up, obviously, throughout my whole life, but has been very present in the last few weeks. And I have heard myself internally, but also externally, saying to people, have I harmed you in ways that I am not aware of? And bringing myself to a space of willingness to sit in the discomfort of the answers and the reactions and the overreactions and the refusal to answer and the dismissiveness or whatever was coming up saying, I will, as Frank says, welcome everything and push away nothing. 
So that has been a beautiful lesson for me, like I said, throughout my whole life. But we go through these seasons where it shows up. And it's not about me having some perfect end result. It's about sitting with it and not being afraid of what comes up, knowing that I can show up for all of that. What I find now, maybe where I am currently or yesterday, and for all its softness and some of the anxieties that come up that are true, that are a part of an old history that I'm an active feeling about or the defensiveness of this relocation I've described is that I'm done othering myself. I'm done with the energy. And it just comes to a place where you just set those rocks down, you know, and it's terribly confusing in the way that a recalibration is showing up to relationship with a decision on what the meeting space looks like. That's another ring. Showing up to situations where I don't know how to forgive something and not quite yet knowing the spots where I could ask for forgiveness. And so to tune in fully to the things that I think I need to forgive, the big ones, it's all had such an othering energy. And maybe that is where I'm coming from today, which tomorrow will be myself yesterday and eventually be myself three years ago. And who knows? <laughs> but that's really, I think, one of the main things that comes up for me and the softness of integration is being done in an egoic way, really, for me, just for me, with othering myself, allowing myself to walk through the front doors of compassion and kindness. And, and taking up space there is easy. It's natural. It is wild. I love that. I really do. I'm grateful you shared. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I want us to... Now check in about something you shared earlier. It was about the unlovability. I want to look at that through the lens of trauma. And the reason why this is such a powerful or important conversation is because it's one that often doesn't get touched on. To set this up, I will share that I had a very traumatic experience when I was 23. I share about it in a very general way on the podcast, but I was harmed physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way I was harmed. And there is this belief that when people experience harm, the whole world stops. Everyone is kind. Everything allows for healing and adjustment and recalibration. And in my experience, that is not what happens. We are human beings living complicated and boring human lives, and we have to go food shopping and pay the electricity bill and show up to work and sit in traffic, all of those things. And a big piece of experiencing and navigating the post-trauma experience is that unlovability. And we don't always have words for it. But in my experience, I will share, it was this fear that if I cannot be who I was prior to that night, what will become of me? How will people know to connect with me or communicate with me or be my friend or love me or be in love with me? How can I show up in my family? Everyone is uncomfortable. Everyone is looking at me as someone who almost died. 
and no one is saying it because it's scary and it's big and it's real and they don't want to breathe air into it. And there's that experience of we're never going to talk about it. We're never going to touch it. We're just going to muscle through and keep going. And I'm not looking at that in a negative way. I'm saying that makes sense in those moments. We have to keep going. We do the best we can. But as people who have walked through these experiences, that unlovability piece comes to the surface. And if I was speaking to someone who woke up the morning after something life-changing and terrible happened to them and they no longer know the shape of themselves, they no longer have that innate sense of safety that we never think about until it's taken from us. If I was going to talk to that person about that lovability and what that looks like in yourself and in relationships, what would I say to that person? And I wanted to have that discussion with you and check in with what you would say to that person that morning after, the year after, the 10 years after, about their own lovability and what that looks like in relationship with others, with the universe, with themselves. Thank you. Thank you for meeting me in this space and asking what I think. Oh, that was a really, that was a, a beautiful offering for whoever this reaches and the energy of that continues outward. I appreciate that share and have that experience, you know, myself in a major way facing my own death at it was a 28 year old version of myself in a, a place where the rich and famous go to heal. Yeah, mine was a near near death experience with, a, with physical harm. And, you know, without really needing to paint a picture around her, it was one where I walked with PTSD for a long time. And in my current healing, that PTSD has returned and it's not logical. We're aware of how the, the brain codes trauma. And so some of my somatic reaction right now to my current environment is a little offline in that way. It's very interesting to be with that. It's actually a big opportunity, but it was very scary when it began. So I, I cherish those versions of ourselves. The way that I held a story that was too big for relationship for so many years, that's only really now even unwinding because my version of being in this human skin is to tell something all the way and not in a way that hurts you and not in a way that hurts me. That's not the case, but it's something about the things that we share, trade and borrow from each other where I, I write in feeling. And so I then thus report my feeling, you know, and I had the greatest degree of difficulty in my experience holding this day where everything changed for me in a space that it was like a backpack of rocks. Like I would enter a new relationship or even just, you know, much of the time in Lone Wolf phase, it just looked like lovers. <laughs> it just looked like lovers with, with me scanning for the fire exit. But eventually I was going to have to turn around in a relationship and show someone that I'd actually been packing all this weight and am I still lovable? And it used to even just make me run from my animal brain. There's no version of complete answers for me right now, you know, in my story of unlovability and trauma. I can be more skillful if, if I start to call some of the things around it by its name and call them shame. That can uncouple a little bit and give me something to tenderly work towards, you know. Something that's true for me is that the things that I have survived, certainly this major one, reinforce 
my ability to connect in this world. Like the richest, most mineral of levels, if that's at the base of some of the things that I'm writing or some of the ways I'm listening, and because I've been able to even just live through it, even if for a while I didn't remember that, sometimes I still can't. If I can now be with that in you, some, there's love in there somewhere, you know, and some days, some days are still hard with that story because I'm always curious. I'm curious for you. I'm curious with others. But what's behind that is that I abandoned that part of myself for a while. And that and doesn't that come back to forgiveness and needing to have a real conversation with myself and say something like I needed to keep us safe. But here we are. I'm not going to waste our energy on deciding who I am in other people's lives. And I'm not going to waste our energy in also deciding that we'll be the most lovable package if we're on a stage, if we're flying down some two-lane highway that most people will never even see. I'm just going to be with it. That's really what not deconstructing, but unbinding the shame looks like for me. I think the topic of shame is a big one. And I often think it's so interesting as it's seen as this thing we have to run away from and that it's not informative or it's not there for a reason or, you know, it doesn't bring us back to places that we need to revisit. I think it's so deep and interesting. In the last episode of this podcast that I recorded, I asked the question, what is the most generous thing I can do in this situation? And I encouraged all of the listeners to bring themselves back to that inquiry at least once a day for just the next week or so. I am bringing that up here with you. We've just talked about trauma, lovability, shame. And I would like to ask that question for you. What do you believe is the most generous thing you can do for yourself in those situations? It's a great question. The most generous thing that I can do for myself again and again, as often as possible, is to release judgment. And it's a practice of trying to move through this life, really embracing the idea that everyone's doing their best is something that I used to think was for the Krishnamurtis. <laughs> it was something that was outside of myself for the Franks, for the Vinnies. In these last, even the last six months, that's something that's been expressing itself as a truth for me. And I say this because... The other side of that unlovability, the word that comes up for me is othering, but often because of the conditions of my first household, I can judge people for their judgments. I can shame myself for my shame. And then it becomes a different word, doesn't it? And, you know, I had this practice. Uh, hopefully this doesn't sound like self-involved, but I had a practice during the pandemic. I was in a Northern California cutesy town, privileged cutesy town. And one day a week, I would go out on the street with my headphones on and I would pick up trash. And my practice was to pick all those things up without judgment and feeling in my body what it was like to assume these were all accidents. And when I can move from a place where I disconnect from the agreement that we are all so separate, that we are such compressed beings in this electronic space that we inhabit and not get wound up in it being a binary. It's the softest then. It gives me the most space to be with myself 
because I struggle there when I hear someone I love talking about how a character in their life didn't show up in a way that they found fitting or didn't react from an awakened space. I have to breathe into patience sometimes. That's my truth. And when I do, the whole system is the richer for it. So I hope that that answers your question. But that's the practice that seems to open the heart and then in turn give me the most space to be a part of a greater connection. So I guess that's our big group secret today. We are going to not mind what happens. I love that. And I so appreciate you sharing that example. I know I'm going to be turning that over all day in my mind and what that looks like for me. Well, Lauren, the name of this podcast is Love Letters and Mixtapes. And I would like to hear your version of a love letter to that younger version of yourself. And I don't need to know which version it is, but can you share a love letter with us? What a wonderful question. What an invitation. I think it may be so simple in my visual mind right now as, dear Lauren, I will come for you. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for sharing your words, your heart, your presence. I am thrilled that we were able to do this together and that you are my first guest. You're my first guest always, Lauren. I will always carry your luggage upstairs with my scrawny little yoga arms from when we met. I will do that. <laughs> forever in every lifetime on every planet with all the coyotes and wolves so <laughs> we've been passing the same suitcase back and forth that suitcase since. thousands and thousands of years it's it's amazing so lauren i know how i get in touch with you but for the people in this community who really resonated with this episode where can they find you or access your work thank you my website holds a lot of my work and my world. That website is heyldv.com. I am on Instagram, heyldv, and signing up for my mailing list on my website is the most personal version. And I do answer emails there. Instagram is just a copy of a copy, but I am present in that space and we'll keep people updated there always. Thank you so much, Lauren. We're so happy to have you here today. What a huge, huge pleasure it has been. Thank you so, so much for letting me be your first guest. I'll come back anytime to hand you back your suitcase. Until next time, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. And please take a moment to like, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Love Letters and Mixtapes podcast.